Every vote counts. And we are live here from Western Pennsylvania, where everyone is in midterm season mode. Tonight, two people from opposite sides of the political spectrum discuss the issues. It's debate night on Thinking Logically. Welcome to a special edition of Thinking Logically. Today is a day that we've been waiting for for a very long time. We are bringing on a special guest, and we'll introduce him in just a second. Uh, but first, uh, we want to welcome uh, our, our co-host, the brains behind all of this. He's an election integrity enthusiast. His name is Dr. Joe Corsi. And joining us today on the podcast is uh, Casey. We, he is a registered Pennsylvania voter. Someone uh, Joe has known since high school, and he's a Bills fan, so we're going to pray for him this season because I don't <laughs> think he could take another heartbreak like last year. Absolutely not. No one circles the wagons like the Buffalo, Buffalo Bills. Or the <laughs> AFC Championship two years ago, or the wild card, the wild card Texans loss was, was bad, too. I actually oh I my lost gosh. money on that. I lost a lot of money on that. I remember that. I don't know how they lost that well, I, I think that that win should be voided because of Deshaun Watson. Honestly, let's let's cancel uh, Deshaun Watson. Any any wins that he had, those should be voided out. Let's replay the playoff. Uh, obviously, I, I'm, I'm a, just joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big I'm a big Josh Allen fan, so I like that. But I, I, I actually watched Barstool did a tweet and uh, it was the last two minutes of the game. And I was trying to remind myself, how the hell did the Bills lose this in regulation again? Uh, the the championship last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 just watching uh, divisional, yeah. So we played Casey in the divisional game last year. Um, you know, honest, honestly, we thought whoever wins that game is going to the Super Bowl. It felt like the Super Bowl. Um, and you know, it was that back and forth, man. I've watched the last two minutes of that game. I encourage any football fan to watch it, even even though you know it's a little bit of heartbreak. But uh, the big thing was 13 seconds. We we scored with 13 seconds left, and our defense, our special teams. Uh, you know, struggled and they they were able to get in a field goal range. They're an amazing team. Travis Kelsey is a Hall of Famer, obviously. Um, then we went to overtime. The famous coin flip tails uh, never fails except when it fails. Uh, and funny enough, going into that game, Josh Allen was undefeated on coin tosses going into that into that coin toss. Um, so ultimately, he never got the ball back in. And, and here we are. But you know, you, you got to have the struggle in order to appreciate the peak. So that that's my mindset. And I've been living it up. And my wife's actually a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. So it's been an awesome, awesome year for the household. Until until playoff time, then it could be a day. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll uh, invite me back come playoff time, and we'll uh, we'll chat some more. <laughs> okay. Recurring guest. Okay. So spe speaking of households, Casey, tell us a little bit about yourself, your political history, and and how you've arrived to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Uh, name's Casey. Um, I, I would say that my, my political interest really began uh, during like Bill Clinton's impeachment in the 90s. I was, you know, uh, a young preteen around then. <laughs> I was pretty young. Um, but, you know, it was just kind of impossible to escape. I remember being very, uh, like, absorbed with the news and my parents, even though they weren't very politically active, you know, that was the news of the day. And uh, I, I remember thinking back now about how they were just like destroying this young woman's life. Um, and, and truthfully, I especially didn't care for Hillary. I felt like Hillary 
uh, was being very political. She felt very insincere and ingenuine uh, in her support for husband for her husband. Um, and that's really where I, I kind of kicked off my my politics. Um, you know, in the 2000 election, uh, I still wasn't eligible to vote, but I was I was kind of in tune with it. And that's where I really fell in love with like the political theater of it. You know, obviously there's elected officials and stuff, but I, I, I love talking campaigning. I kind of love talking about like what this means politically. And obviously that's a separate conversation than real lives and real issues and stuff. But I, I do enjoy the theater and the campaigning of it. So that whole aspect was, was really fascinating to watch. Um, and really my biggest takeaway from it years later was, was being impressed uh, by Al Gore conceding uh, and being able to move the country forward. I remember feeling a lot of patriotism and a lot of pride that, you know, we, we were able to move forward for the good of the country and stuff. Um, and then obviously quickly after that, 9-11 happened and, and I became a really fierce defender of George W. Bush. You know, I, I felt really strongly that it was important for the country to come together, support the commander in chief. Uh, I voted for his reelection in uh, 2004. Um, you know, John Kerry was a nightmare. <laughs> you know, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but then, you know, the, sec the second term of George W. Bush, that was really the first time where I followed an elected official that I specifically supported. And then I kept tabs on them, you know, how they followed up in their governance. And long story short, I, I was disappointed <laughs> by, by, you know, what I got out of them. So I really felt like a free agent going into 2008. Uh, and that's when, you know, Barack, Barack Obama was was unlike any candidate I had I had ever seen at that point, you know, set aside whatever feelings you may have, you know, about his policies, about about his <laughs> where he came from, I guess. Uh, but, you know, his his charisma, the way he spoke about hope and positivity after, you know, the last several years since 9-11 um, and the Patriot Act and all that um, was really inspiring. So, you know, I, I went to see him speak in person twice during his campaign. I donated for the first time. Uh, I volunteered going door to door. So I really felt like I was actually out there making a difference. Um, and I felt like this was the first time I had a candidate that actually accomplished stuff. You know, the Affordable Care Act, the Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage, the assassination of bin Laden, um, you know, others that are slipping my mind at the moment. But, you know, these are big accomplishments that really kind of won me over. Like, look, I can support a candidate. I can be active in, in campaigning for them. And then I can get results. It actually felt like progress you know, it felt like action and moving forward, which I hadn't really seen. So he was an easy candidate candidate to support for re-election. Um, you know, but flash forward to 2016, I, I was a little disappointed by his second term. Obviously, you know, uh, we uh, Democrats didn't have the majority, so less was getting accomplished. Uh, so I really went into that election feeling like a free agent. Um, I really prided myself on on being independent and being a moderate and, and trying to see both sides of every issue. Um, and as I said, I Hillary seemed like the de facto nominee on the Democrat side. It didn't seem like there was going to be any options on that side. So I really paid a lot more attention to the, the Republican primary. Um, I even donated to Marco Rubio's campaign. Uh, I, I probably would have voted for Kasich over Hillary. Uh, obviously, he had no realistic chance of getting the nomination, but um, as far as Trump, you know, my consideration for him lasted his escalator ride down until he said criminals, drug dealers and rapists. <laughs> you know, once he said that in his announcement speech, in my mind, I was like, all right, this is a joke candidate. He's never really going to be realistic. And I kind of dismissed him. Um, and then obviously, of course, we all know what happened there um, and, and so on. So the election 20, uh, in 2020, um, you know, I was a Pete Buttigieg supporter initially. 
Um, I liked what he was selling. I thought he was young. Um, I thought he had, had charisma that I hadn't seen since uh, Obama. Uh, I was probably willing to support Elizabeth Warren as well, um, but I didn't think she had a chance in the general. Um, wasn't a huge fan of Bernie. The Bernie bros really turned me off of him. Um, so Biden winning the primary was actually really incredibly disappointing. It, it felt like it was a safe and a scared pick. Um, I did ultimately vote for him because I felt, you know, for a variety of reasons that the other candidate was not an appropriate candidate I could support. Um, and then here we are, here we are today. You know, I, I still pride myself in being a moderate and, and trying to see both sides as much as possible. But unfortunately, it just feels like the political landscape doesn't allow for moderation. It doesn't allow for that middle ground anymore. You know, you're either all in 100% uh, MAGA or you're a rhino or you're a never Trumper. There is no moderation on that side. And then on the other side, the progressives, you know, make so much noise that any, mo any moderate, you know, voice or anybody saying, hey, let's pump the brakes, let's, you know, move inch by inch rather than leap by leap is seen as, well, now you're standing in our way. Now you don't support us. Now you're not an ally. Um, so it, it's been a bit disheartening that I, I really don't feel like any major party is speaking to me at the moment. Um, that being said, I, you know, have several issues that still are important to me. And I, and I feel like there's really only one choice that supports those issues that are important to me. And, and we can get into those further. So sorry for the long winded answer, but no, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to give was, you some That context. was outstanding, actually. Yeah, I, I enjoyed hearing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, your, your road to where you are today is kind of similar, different than similar to where, how I got to where I'm at today. Cause I was a lifelong Democrat. I never mm -hmm. thought I would ever vote Republican. Um, couldn't stand Donald Trump, you know, uh, was a never Trumper in 2016 and mm -hmm. then came all the way around, you know, and did a complete 180, you know, around mid 2020 and, mm -hmm. and ended up switching parties because as the farther left democratic party went on a national level and even here in, in Pennsylvania, you know, I just couldn't resonate with, the message they were they were sending out so for sure that's kind of uh that's kind of how my journey was from from being a democrat for 37 38 years to being a republican now so um but no it was great great hearing that story so and as far as me i i voted for Kerry, and then i voted and then i supported bush and i voted mm -hmm. for mccain but we're on the same page i, I hate Kerry, i hate bush too we are on <laughs> yeah. the same page when it comes to george w bush so, I so mean, yeah so I'll, i'd be i'd be curious not not to interrupt but I'm, i'd be curious maybe this is a, a different conversation where that split happened because you're right we do we have different paths but at some point we saw we must have seen the same issue and you went right and i went left and 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 you know who knows what happened yeah yeah no it it, it started very very early in the second term so and Mm -hmm. We can we can, that could be a whole another day's discussion, believe me, because that is very interesting. That is something we probably both agree on now. That would be interesting, but for for sure. And and add additional context. You know, Joe Joe and I have had tons of great conversations through Twitter, but obviously that platform is very limited. You know, with the character limit and how in depth we can go in different topics. Um, so it's great to you know have this this wide open space that we can we can dive in a little bit more. Yes. All right. Well, let's get to it. Um, the midterms are 17 days away. Uh, Casey, you and Joe have some differing opinions politically, so that's why we're here today, to finally get an opinion from the other side. We've been wanting to do this, even though we are pretty much you know, a center-right podcast. We, we, we've been wanting to get someone from the left on to, to hear their point of view. Uh, we like to give our listeners both sides. We have a few topics to cover, 
So let's have a fiery yet peaceful debate. And topic number one, uh, <clears throat> it's going to talk about our, our question relates to the United States Senate. Casey, we'll let you go first. Uh, who are you voting for in the 2022 Pennsylvania Senate race between John Fetterman and Dr. Oz and why? Sure. Uh, right now, uh, I am a John Fetterman supporter. I, I've been a big fan of John Fetterman since he was the mayor of Braddock. Um, you know, he has those local connections um, and he supports a lot of uh, similar issues I do. I, I, he sees how the drug war has disproportionately affected people of minorities um, and put them into prison. He wants to do away with that in Pennsylvania. And I think that trend is, is going that way. Uh, he's also expressed an interest in doing something about uh, the filibuster, which I think has crippled uh, progress in DC. Um, I don't know if, if I'm all for completely doing away with it, but I'm open to people who are open to those ideas. Um, and furthermore, um, it, as I said, at this point, the Republican party and their spoken stances on several issues um, immediately, unfortunately, disqualify many of those candidates from even even being considered. So I'm left with, you know, really a single option. So, you know, Dr. Oz, for example, I have never been a fan of Dr. Oz. He's been in the public eye for a long time. I have always felt that he's been a grifter, that he's always uh, taken advantage of majority of senior citizens, people who watch his show selling these miracle pills, miracle drugs, just flat out lying in terms to uh, enrich and profit himself in his businesses. And so I just ethically, I just don't feel like putting him in a position of leadership is something that he's deserved, you know, as a human being. Now, Fetterman has has his issues as well. But unfortunately, like I said, the other side disqualifies themselves so quickly in my mind, that I'm not really able to consider those details of a particular candidate, uh, because I don't have another option. Okay. Uh, Joe, we know you're voting for Dr. Oz, so let's hear why you're voting for Dr. Oz. I'd be curious, too. I am curious. Okay, so I'm not a Dr. Oz fan. It's not so much why Dr. Oz. It's because there's actually there's a whole lot I don't like about him. He's running against. Is the person he's running against capable of doing the job? Now, according to Kara Voigt last week and even Joe Biden in Pittsburgh yesterday, his wife is the de facto candidate. I mean, he even said, Gazelle, this is from Joe Biden. Great, great, great first lady in the Senate. A great, great, great lady in the Senate. He forgot the, which it's Biden. It's, it's, a, it's a mental flub. But is this the standard we want to have? Why won't John Fetterman release his medical records? Instead, his campaign puts out what amounts to a work excuse your doctor gives you. Um, and who's this doctor that evaluated him? Dr. Clifford Chen? What if I told you that that doctor also donated to Fetterman's campaign? Surprise, surprise. Talk about a conflict of interest. So it begs the question, who was John Fetterman's PCP before his stroke in May? We need to hear from him. This work excuse that, that he has signed is nothing. It's not from a neurologist. It's from a primary care physician that donated to his campaign. Um, but think of the headlines the last week or so with this guy. Last week, it was Fetterman's a disabled American who needs technology to do his job. And this week, it's Fetterman has no work restrictions. So as a voter, you have to decide, okay? Um, when you have someone that can't complete a sentence and needs a computer to assist him in talking, you know his handlers are running everything. So who's his handler? 
Is it his wife, lobbyist, or is it someone worse? I don't know. I don't have these answers. But he doesn't speak at campaign events. He can't seem to speak. He doesn't really know what's going on, it seems, most of the time. Um, so is he going to even do any of the things that our guest Casey is hoping he does? I doubt it. And if he does, will it even be his decisions or, like I said, his handlers? There's no way you can know for sure. All right. Uh, since Casey, since you went first, do you have any rebuttal to that, to what Joe said? Any comments? Yeah, thoughts? yeah for sure. And, and, and I did hear Biden's comments yesterday about his wife. Um, and my interpretation of that was that she could also potentially run someday and also be a candidate. Um, I didn't necessarily see that as um, what the, the common talking point is, that she is the, the actual candidate and he's just, you know, the, the man in front of her. Um, so a, a little bit of a misinterpretation there. Um, Real quick, though, not to interrupt. Yeah. I, I, no, I, got no, I please. interrupt, but so she posted a picture with her and Joe Biden on board Air Force One taking a picture, but John Fetterman has no pictures of him on Air Force One. It's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's just, it's crazy. I, right, let's, I, let, let's let Casey finish and we'll go on to yes, topic. Two. Sorry. No, I appreciate that comment. Um, and and I, I do think his wife has political aspirations, and I would go as far as saying that perhaps her aspirations are what is driving him to, to more of this national stage. I think he potentially would have been happy living in his parents' basement, being the mayor of Braddock, getting free drinks at the corner bar the rest of his life. Um, that being said, I think he is a type of candidate that can resonate with voters in Pennsylvania that typical Democrats could not. Um, you know, as Dr. Oz said, he's got his hoodie on and it's a kick in the balls to authority. You know, that's that's something that a lot of people are looking for. I could argue that, you know, the, the previous president kicked the ball, kicked authority in the balls. And that was a big uh, selling point for him. Um, you know, you talk about his his health and stuff. But as somebody, you know, who has followed him a long time, I remember when he was like 420 pounds as the mayor of Braddock. You know, he's lost over 150 pounds. So seeing what he was versus what is, you know, what he is today, actually, you know, is a little bit decent in comparison. Now, yes, a stroke is a very serious medical condition, and a lot of people handle that differently. Um, and, and as you and I have talked about in the past, I am all about transparency. I agree completely. Anybody who's running for a, a, a federal position should be completely transparent about any type of medical conditions that would have any type of adverse effect on their ability to do the job. And I am disappointed that they haven't put out more information about his, his health conditions. Um, everything that I've seen, you know, all I can take is, is what's out there is that he's expected to make a 100% full recovery. So if he is struggling with coming back from that stroke now, I'm willing to excuse the use of closed captioning and, and some of his, his verbal cues. But that being said, if it continues, that is a problem. And we could go very deep into the health and mental capacity and physical capacity of elected officials now. Um, and that the major and that our country is being run by, you know, senior citizens who <laughs> uh, potentially could be in nursing homes. You know, I think we need younger leadership, um, which, um, you know, it, it has all those types of health issues. So um, all that, all that being said, you know, I, I agree. We need transparency from them. Um, I think that he will make a, a full recovery personally. Um, I haven't seen anything to the contrary, but I, I would like to see more evidence. There. But there's lots of medical issues for a lot of elected officials. So if we're worried about Fetterman's health, we need to talk about 
Biden's mental capacity. You know, McConnell's getting up there in, in years. Pelosi, uh, Schumer, you know, all of the leadership, I think, is, is well past the expiration date. All right. Good point. All right. Now, topic number two. Uh, Joe, you will bat lead off for this question. Real quick, I just want to hammer home that we, we can't know if he's going to make 100% recovery if he won't release his medical records. And like, in case he did to his overweight is not the same as a stroke, but Casey did mention that. But again, we can't know if he's going to make 100% recovery if we haven't seen his medical records. That's all I want to close on. Okay. All right. Topic number two. Joe, who are you voting for in the 2022 gubernatorial race and why? Josh Shapiro or Doug Mastriano? Okay, so obviously I'm voting for Doug Mastriano. The reasons, um, there's a lot. Number one, Josh Shapiro, say what you want. Um, he's for sexualizations and medical transitioning of our children. Um, that's just one. Josh Shapiro is also a tyrant. Um, he sent a letter to Facebook, let's not forget, and Twitter, begging them to deplatform anyone that had a differing opinion on how to handle the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it doesn't matter if the people that he was deplatforming were right in hindsight, they were, um, it's the issue that he wants to deplatform people and, and infringe on, on, on speech. Um, according to the Epoch times, there's another reason, uh, Shapiro has received over $120,000 in donations from billionaire George Soros or family members from George Soros. Um, could that explain why he's so soft on crime, certain crimes? Um, is this someone you want as governor of our state? Another George Soros attorney general. Um, our listeners, that's for you to decide. Also, do you want more illegal aliens flown into our state in the middle of the night? Because this happened under Shapiro and, and, uh, and Tom Wolf. Um, under Doug Mastriano, I guarantee you this will stop. And if you don't believe me, there have been night flights that have been coming into <clears throat> Pennsylvania of illegal immigrants. Um, just as they were from Martha's Vineyard, they're coming up from the border. Only problem is it's Joe Biden doing. Um, we will not be a sanctuary state under Doug Mastriano. Also, don't remember, Josh Shapiro supported the forced masking of children to attend school. He also supported the vax mandate. If he wins, I mean, is he going to go with the CDC and force your kids to have their COVID shots and boosters to attend school? I'm sure, and I've been getting a lot of messages that, yes, you could get a religious exemption or an exemption, but why should you have to? If Doug's our governor, governor you're not going to have to worry about any of this anymore. I mean, Joshua Shapiro even sued to keep your businesses closed during the pandemic. Doug was one of the first people to speak out against this. And in hindsight, he was right. He's a leader. Um, Doug is not for this new vax mandate on the kids' schedule. Um, so, again, I just – who are you going to vote for? The guy that fought tooth and nail to lock down your business, your state, everything, mask your child to get an education, all for what? Um or, or do you want someone who's a proven leader like Doug Mastriano? Okay. Well there, well, there you go. All right, uh, Casey, you're up. Yeah, so uh, again, this is uh, a situation where it feels like before I even had the chance to dive into deeper issues, it was an immediate uh, disqualification for Doug Mastriano. His... Uh, stance on the election integrity and some of the statements he's made about wanting to completely erase all voter rolls in Pennsylvania and starting over. Um, I believe that is unconstitutional uh, from what I've seen from some legal things that I've read. Um, but, you know, uh, I my number one concern, my number one issue is election integrity. Um, now, I'm, I'm somebody who 
potentially could support voter ID laws, but uh, and that's a deeper discussion, but there needs to be things that follow up with that. The ideas uh, that he's presented of removing drop boxes in certain areas, completely eliminating no excuse mail-in voting, um, a universal voter ID that's completely separate than just like a general DMV type ID, these types of burdens and barriers to voting, uh, which is, a, in my opinion, a constitutional right, is, is dangerous. And I think that's how we lose slip of our democracy and the ability of us as citizens and our very, very small role we play of sending out our, our tiny little votes you know, every year and, and having a say in how our government plays. So um, I, I'm also, you know, further on that, I'm, I, I'm somebody that we should have independent commissions uh, overseeing gerrymandering on both sides. The Republicans are a lot better at it than the Democrats. They try, bless their heart, but they suck at it. Um, other things, you know, just obviously abortion. I'm, I'm of uh, the mind that I don't want anyone telling me what to do with my body. I, as a man, have no right to tell, you know, a woman what to do with their body. I know there's a lot of... <laughs> Uh, things that go along with that. And you could use the, the justification on that for, you talked about the sexualization of children. That was your phrasing. I, I could phrase it as providing support services for children that, um, you know, are feeling these feelings or feel that they were born LGBTQ, things like that. So it, it, we're just kind of coming at it from different stances. Um, ultimately, the biggest reason that I would vote for Shapiro is that I obviously expect the state legislature to stay Republican controlled. And I would be nervous about uh, full control of Republicans over my state. I would expect them to pass pretty harsh abortion bans that we've seen in other red states, as well as sweeping uh, changes to how we run our elections. Um, all things that I would be very scared about that would diminish the value of my vote. So Really, election integrity is by far and above the, the number one issue for the government uh, governor race. All right, Joe, uh, I will give you a rebuttal here as uh, you went first. OK, um, so Casey, you mentioned about deleting the voter rolls um, and whether it was unconstitutional or not. I have to ask our audience if our audience think it was unconstitutional the way Josh Shapiro pushed through the mail-in ballot loss. It was passed by the Republican state I legislature. I understand. Oh. And it was a hand. It, it was one of the worst, the worst deals made of all time by the Republicans. Can, can, I know you said, too. I know you said a lot about COVID. So can, I, and, and we could not talk about COVID all day. Can we just acknowledge, though, that this global pandemic that occurred in the early days of the global pandemic? Obviously, there was many, many associations that needed to step up at that time that were unprepared, underfunded, ill-equipped. And there was a scattershot of attempts to try and get this under control. Obviously, in retrospect, we can look back now. Some of those were ineffective. Some of those were uh, not effective. And some of those, you know, we, we're not quite sure what the effect could have been. All I know is that six and a half million people, according to, you know, John Hopkins, six and a half million people worldwide have died from COVID. And, and I understand how you feel about those, those death rates. But I, I think looking back at, what you know we're judging people of yesterday for their decisions of yesterday with the knowledge we have of today they didn't okay. have the knowledge we have of today and i think it's a little bit unfair to go all the way back and 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 crucify them for decisions they made at the best of their ability with the knowledge they had in that moment yeah but they keep on continuing to make bad decisions and like i said with the banning and deplatforming of people he wrote a letter i mean 
Josh Shapiro wrote a letter to Mark Zuckerberg. Do you want, do you want to talk about – I'm sorry to interrupt, but you want to talk about you know candidates and their relationships with social media. I, I think it's difficult to be a Trump supporter and, and go after anybody with, with how they – they talk about social media and their role with social media, you know? I mean, he had to go and invent his entire social media platform. But <laughs> how's that, how's that doing by the way? <laughs> I mean, pretty good. Like Twitter's a tough nut to crack here, but uh, you, you talked about it being yeah. stuff being dangerous. Was it dangerous to pause a presidential election at this exact same time in seven swing States and never give a reason and then have the losing candidate at the time come back from giant margins. I mean, the, the, you got you got deplatformed for for questioning elections. We're not allowed to question elections anymore. I, I was deplatformed on January, I think, eighth, for questioning the results of the election on Twitter. I think I, I think it is, I think it is dangerous. That. I think it is dangerous to throw out questions without any type of evidence behind it. I think a lot of the early evidence of of voter fraud and and the things about. Um, oh, Philadelphia, they brought in these, uh, you know, wheeled in these things of, of ballots and stuff. I fully believe that the Republican Party wants to find widespread voter fraud. They do. They desperately want to find it to, to point at and prove it and throw it in everyone's faces. But they haven't. They've they found individual examples. They found uh, allegations of it. But there's enough money and enough power in the Republican Party that if what they're alleging was true, it would have been found out by now. There's a there's well, no, there's, because the, the, the courts dismissed them on standing. They never heard any of the evidence. They refuse actually but, to hear any of the evidence. They just uh, we had but no, 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 no. They did not refuse to see the evidence. The evidence was dismissed by Trump appointed judges that it was without, not under, that without it, standing. Yeah, meaning, without, without they standing. didn't look at the evidence. They didn't look okay. at the actual evidence. And, and that would be fine if it was one, but it was over 50. It was over 50. So if unless you're telling me that there's widespread judicial but then you can conspiracy, make the on the left. including the left Donald Trump the appointed quick, judges. Why does the left get to make the argument that the courts are bullshit like when they overturn I the didn't. abortion? I didn't. That's the argument you're making. That's the argument you're making by saying that they weren't willing to hear the evidence of the election. So if that evidence existed and a ju- and the courts aren't willing to hear it, why is the my pillow guy on a nationwide tour saying the evidence is coming? The evidence is coming. What? Where is it? Where is it coming? Every time I hear about the evidence, it's coming. Believe me, as somebody who who wants election integrity, if there is widespread voter fraud, I would be first in line to 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 challenge that and to stand up against that. But I'm waiting for the evidence. So far, it's just been allegations. It's been grainy video that has been investigated. And sworn and, affidavits. And sworn affidavits. Sw- with all due respect, sworn affidavits are the perspective of individuals, which, yes, they have their purpose and they have their value. But if there is no tangible evidence besides one person saying, this is what I saw, this is what I hear, without an additional witness or collaborative evidence, then I diminish that evidence. If somebody, it's that old expression. If, if my mother said to me, I love you, I would say, give me a source. I need evidence. You know, like I, I especially in today's, today's age and what I'm, and I won't even go into, but deep fakes, who, who, deep fakes are going to destroy this country. I think deep fake, deep fakes are going to destroy everything, but that's another conversation. So, I mean, that, that's what I feel. I believe in the judicial system. I don't believe in, 
um, like packing the Supreme Court or exp expanding the Supreme Court. I do believe in term limits for the Supreme Court, but I, I think we're going down, you know, a bunch of tangents, which which is fine. And I'm happy to talk about anything. But, you know, just in terms of our local state, I want expansion of voting. I want I want people to be issued free voter IDs so they can use those voter IDs to vote, you know. But that's not what's happening. They require the voter IDs. But if I needed to go to the DMV or get a voter ID, I have to drive a half hour away. And it, they close at like two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, so it's like it's very inconvenient for somebody who works. And, I, and obviously I'm privileged because I, I work from home. I have my own car. You know, I have freedom. Somebody who doesn't have a, their own car, maybe an 18-year-old, maybe a college student, maybe somebody who works a lot, they might not have those same uh, abilities. And now they're constitutionally protected right to vote is no longer available to them because they can't have a mail-in option or they can't go to a drop box and they don't have the availability or the time to, to travel a half hour away. So those are the things that I'm worried about. I'm, I'm totally open for voter IDs and, and things to protect our election. That's my number one issue. But you need to not be purposefully ignorant of the effect that it has on those people. And you need to make efforts to help those people still be able to vote. All right, Joe, last comment before we go on to the border. Um, again, uh, with Josh Shapiro, he will ban you off social media if you have a differing opinion. That sounds kind of fascist to me. Is that what you want for Pennsylvania? And remember, when it comes to gender transition and stuff, a child under 18 years old cannot consent. So we've talked the about the age politics. of consent in Pennsylvania, I think, is 17. But that, that's neither here nor there. I, I agree with, with I'll, I'll go. I'll yeah. agree with you on that. I, I agree with you on the child stuff. That's probably where I'm most con conservative in that regard. And, you know, I have two young children. Um but, but with all due respect, Josh Shapiro has zero power with social media. He can write letters all day, all night, but he has, he has zero influence there. For now. You think as governor of Pennsylvania, he's going to, like, Elon Musk is going to listen to him. Mark Zuckerberg is going to listen to him. They don't give a fuck about it. Sorry, can we swear on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, we, we, get, we get the explicit rating put on. I didn't know, uh, I didn't know if this was for children. I didn't know it was a children's podcast. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the border. Topic number three, Casey, we're going to give you first crack at this question. We know you don't want to talk about the border and you have philosophical differences in handling uh, that we do. But can you give a comment or give your opinion on if you think it really is a problem or what can be done to fix this? Sure, I, I think the border is a problem. I think um, that, that it can be a borderline crisis at times. But I, I think we have to look deeper at what the source of the problem is. I think that we have a global refugee crisis um, and that the United States, as they continue to, you know, market themselves internationally as the land of hope and freedom and opportunity, that's going to sell it itself to these refugees that are going to want to come here and start a new life for them. You know, it, it, you can't really have it both ways. If you say, you know, we have the Statue of Liberty, we're a melting pot of, of, of you know, diversity and, and and all this stuff. And when you talk to Americans, you know, they don't say they're American. They, oh, I'm Italian. Oh, I'm, I'm Asian. You know, America has always been, you know, a country of immigrants. Um, and I fully believe in the power of people. You know, if, if you want to talk about China, China's biggest asset is their population and their people power and their manpower. And I think bringing in immigrants helps the country by, you know, they do jobs that you or I probably wouldn't want to do. They contribute to society. And in a lot of ways, they're, um, and obviously there are tons of examples out there in both ways, but overall in the studies that I've seen is around the Dreamer Act and stuff, these individuals 
uh, follows the law more than regular citizens because of that fear of being deported and that fear of uh, being an immigrant and things happening to them. Now, I don't support open borders. And, and truthfully, the, the Democratic Party doesn't necessarily support open borders either. And, and we can have a disagreement with that. But what happens is when a Democrat is in an administration versus a Republican, these refugees, these, these people seeking asylum, they know they're going to be treated differently. They know that their children aren't going to be ripped away from them. They know that, you know, the, the border control is just going to release them back on the other side. Um, and, and that's a humane approach. And that's why we're going to see more people attempting border crossings under a Democrat administration than a Republican administration. You know, cruelty was the point, as uh, Bannon said, or I believe it was Bannon, about their border patrol. Like they want to be cruel. They want to tell those families, this is not worth your effort. Do not do this. So that that's a way to diminish that problem. Um, obviously, I don't believe in the wall. You build a 10-foot wall, I'll show you an 11-foot ladder. Um, I think that was an incredible waste of money. And I think it was a political theater. It was just for show. It was a simple problem to a very complex issue. You know, the majority of illegal immigrants come through plane. You know, they're not just crossing the border. Um, so I think we need to have, a, we need to somehow bring the parties back to the same reality of what's going on. We need to fund our actual Im legal immigration efforts a lot better. So the idea of crossing the border in, the, in late night with a coyote is not the best option versus having to wait eight months for a court date. Um, we need to fund, uh, you know, those immigration judges, provide lawyers, and we need to get that process moving, that legal process moving a lot faster. So the illegal crossings for these people who may be under risk of death in their country, may be in, you know, in uh, a lot of danger in their country, and they feel like they have no other option for their families. You know, I sympathize for that. I don't think we need to carry that full burden of the world refugee crisis, but we need to rep we need to recognize that as a first world, we should have a little bit of humanity and we, we should find a way to bring in uh, productive, you know, contributing immigrants into our society to help with our declining birth rate, although I saw that just went up with with COVID, but, you know, with the birth rate and to and to keep our population strong and to, and to bring in you know, more knowledge and just more people that can that can do our jobs and keep our economy going. So I support legal immigration, but I think our system is broken. So a lot of times illegal immigration is the only option. All right. A lot to unpack there, Joe. Go ahead. Um, just real quick, because we're getting bunched up on time here. Um, I can go a little over if need be. OK. Um, <clears throat> in my opinion, Casey made the point where more more children or more people are coming when there's a Democrat because they think they're going to get in and it's easier. Yes, but. That, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. I said they're treated Correct. more fairly. Treated more fairly. Okay, and With more my, compassion. My point is, I just think it's an easier, easier opportunity, and they know it. And the people that are coming over, you have to understand, children are being trafficked across this border. They're Absolutely. not. They're not coming over for a better life. We need some to of, some of them are. Control. Let's not talk in universals. Let's not talk in universals. We know some are being trafficked illegally through sex trade, through other terrible things. But some are coming with their families, escaping, you know, a variety of terrible situations. You it's, know, it's, it's, it's not one bad. or the other. It's both. It's both. That's not true. There are there are families that are very it's well. It's all bad for the kids, though. It's all bad for the kids as long as that well, border's open. But it's bad for the kids in their home. You know, they, these kids might be taken away to join some. Uh, I don't want to speak in general, like, like some child army or something. You know, so that's an extreme, but. 
you know, as somebody who has, has kids and, you know, you have family members you care about as well. If, if, if they were in danger and my only option was to flee with them, I, I mean, that mindset, I, I can understand it, but you know, I, I empathize for that. As a I, I just ask, how, how many is an acceptable number to take in? Is it a million? Is it two, 10 more? Because uh, every day it's tens of thousands more probably. I, I disagree that tens of thousands are pouring over the border. I think tens of thousands may be attempting, you know, to, to get over and stuff. I remember seeing a, uh, I think it was a Republican representative tweet about how much drugs and how much stuff were seized at the border. But but that's great. It was seized. It was, you know, it was captured. It, yeah, this, is, this is showing that that those things are working. So I, I think increased funding needs to, to be there to find programs that work. As far as a number, that's completely subjective. That could change year over year. I think it depends on availability of, of the uh, immigrant candidates that could be productive to our society, uh, availability of, you know, educational options, things like that. That is a very complex topic that people much smarter than than me will we'll have to figure out. Okay. All right. Let's move on to our fourth topic. <clears throat> and Joe, you're going to go first here. And this is about energy in the Biden administration. Now, from day one, uh, you know, the Biden administration has declared basically war on oil, fossil fuels, uh, domestic oil production. And <clears throat> we'll, we'll give Casey his, his opportunity to respond. But Joe, uh, Talk us through, you know, your your position and your and your thoughts on the on the Biden administration and the, their war on on energy and what can be done to alleviate uh, some of the high gas prices we're seeing. Well, uh, listen, I'm all for green energy. Don't get me wrong. We just weren't ready. We weren't even close to ready. And he really jumped the gun on this and he ran on this. He ran on shutting down um, oil companies, um, stopping all this stuff. But at the same time, and this covers the election too, why does he get away with just releasing our entire petroleum reserve? He, he's giving away our entire, to artificially lower the cost of fuel. And I think he's doing that just to score points during the midterm. And it's already questionable what he did to the Saudis when he asked them just to keep the oil flowing until the midterms to probably make him look good. What he's doing with energy in this country is, is, is not good. I'm glad that he is now finally starting or his handlers are finally starting to get a grip and they are telling companies that they're going to buy back the oil at $70 a barrel to replenish the strategic <laughs> petroleum reserve. But he botched this from the beginning. Like we, we were energy independent and, and now this thing is global. And I, I don't know how close we are to war, if there will be a war, but are we prepared or something like that under Joe Biden with how our energy infrastructure is. I, I don't know. It's it's too many to unpack, too many issues to unpack when it comes to energy, from prices to national security. But my main focus is them that, that strategic reserve that has been drained to artificially lower the price of gas. And now he released more and it's right before midterms. So what happens when that runs out? I don't know. Well, so I, I don't think we're going to run out of this strategic reserve. And, and he is buying it back at, I believe it was like $10 below the current prices, which is great. And I, I appreciate you giving him credit for it. Um, and, and to your point, it's a, it's a worldwide issue. You know, gas prices are up worldwide. I think we're still suffering from supply issue chains, obviously OPEC decisions, the Ukraine war. Um, now, there is some flexibility in each of these countries domestically where you can see a little bit of give and take, you know, credit DeSantis for the Florida gas tax holiday. But, you know, even that, 
it went from like 340, 338 to down like 25 cents, so 317. Now that's not nothing, but that being said, that's like what Georgia was paying already. Like that was their average price. So there's, there's a little bit of wiggle room, but if we can acknowledge this is a global problem, then the availability of what we can do about it domestically is limited. Now, you, you talked about a couple of things he tried to do, pulling, um, you know, barrels from the strategic reserves. And I think that was that was going into effect in December. And, and yes, he he announced it before the midterms. Midterms are coming up. But should he stop governing? Should he stop doing things? You could argue. Well, that he, shouldn't have sent, he shouldn't have sent the original batches to other countries. Like where was it? It was China might have been one and it was in Europe. He shouldn't sure, have sent sure sent that but no that's and that's completely fair and you you could you know it's like when you see two trucks with uh with logs passing each other on the highways like, wait you had logs over there wait you had, why, why are you <laughs> so I, that's completely fair and, and there's a depth of i'm sure information that that neither of us know on, on why that decision was made um you know but but that all that being said um uh, you you talked about how we weren't ready you know for the for that next step what, what do you think and let me, what do you think we need to be ready for that next step in energy? And let me just preface that with, because there's a fundamental difference. The, you know, Democrats, quote unquote, liberals, they see fossil fuels as what it is. It's a finite resource that we will run out. You know, I've seen a, as much as in the next century, like oil, 50 years, natural gas, a little bit more than that, coal, maybe a hundred years <clears throat> left. So if we know this cliff is coming at our current consumption rates, we, we need to do something sooner rather than later in order to move off of that. Now, we can go deep into the government choosing winners and losers and how the transparency of who they're giving those funds to is, is a mess. Uh, and I agree with you that there, that needs to be a much better system. But I fully believe in innovating ourselves out of problems, you know, new technologies, improvements on existing ones. So I believe like I believe in that public funding and investing and creating those technologies for the better of all of us, um, you know, but we've seen those go go belly up and stuff. Um, so it, I heard you say the war on energy at the beginning. That's what I'm concerned about is the, the politicizing of energy and forms of energy where conservatives, Trump supporters, MAGA, Republicans, whatever, they're going to say, I'm never going to get an electric car. I'm never going to get solar panels. I'm never going to do any of these things because that's a, a liberal environmentalist hippie idea. And that hurts all of us because we know while that technology in a lot of ways isn't as effect effective or cost effective as it could be, we know that that needs to be the future in some way because we're just simply going to run out of the, these other fossil fuels until somebody, you know, creates this artificial oil or something, which I'm sure people are trying to do. But that's that's what I see. And that's what my environmental mindset. Um, and then obviously climate change, you know, people who believe in climate change, scientists uh, who, who think that the burning of fossil fuels uh, are, are damaging our planet and will eventually lead to the death of our species. That sounds extreme. But there are very smart people who have dedicated their lives to the science who believe that. And if they're telling me that we need to move away from fossil fuels, I would be arrogant to say that I know more than they do. So I believe in those experts and, and I think that we do need to move into it. Now, uh, and again, we're, there's so, to your point, there's so many angles of this. California, what, what California is doing where they're just forcing this down people's throats, I think is maybe not the right approach, but we have consistently seen private companies skirt around regulations, 
you know, find loopholes around uh, their, their pollution, carbon uh, tax, things like that. So we've, we've tried the private industry and they, and they haven't done it. Um, so we need to do something. And I don't know what that is, um, but I, I know that it needs to be on more sustainable energy sources. And I'm, and I'm worried we're moving away from it because of the Democrats fumbling the, the ways that they're promoting it and the politici polit politicizing of it where Republicans are running away from it. Well, before you, you step in, Joe, I, I, I'm glad you brought up California because we've been talking about this, you know, and you, you brought up a good point. They're going to be selling all electric vehicles, I think, by what, 2030 or 2035, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yet, <clears throat> right now, we're, we're hearing about rolling blackouts possibly in California. So how mm -hmm. are people going to charge their electric vehicles if you don't have the energy to even charge electric vehicles, you can't even sustain that. You well, know? I agree. I, I think that I, I think that. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, go ahead. I was going to say I agree completely, and I think the uh, if I was you know given our budget and everything was zeroed out, the number one spending uh, that I would use from federal and state governments is our infrastructure. You know, water infrastructure, uh, electric infrastructure, our power grid that is very, very vulnerable to cyber espionage and those types of things. We've, we've honestly been very lucky that it hasn't been worse. You know, there was the, the solar waves incident a couple of years ago, but- I agree uh, with you 100% on the electric, on the electric grid and infrastructure. Absolutely. I think that needs to be the number one investment before we get everybody on those, those electric vehicles um, and, and those next level things. I, I think it's a bit the cart before the horse, to jo Joe's point that we weren't ready. Um, but the, and this goes to the progressives, progressives of the Democratic Party, they're young, they've grown up in an internet age where they haven't had to wait for anything ever. You know, they complain when their text message takes two seconds to go to space and come back down, uh, you know, so, so they're gonna, they're pushing progress, they, they don't want to wait, and they want progress now. And I think, you know, moderates are like, hold on, we got to do this first. We got to do this are, are getting trampled. Um, and it's hurt the overall environmental movement, uh, which is which benefits everyone. You know, electricity isn't liberal or conservative. Electricity just helps us. OK, Joe, anything else before we move on to the next question? Just because because Casey said, I think I heard you say the science and scientists. I just have to ask. It's always a percentage, especially when it comes to global warming or climate change. It's, it's always 90% of scientists agree, but they never give you a number. I, I want a number. Actually, I want a list of names, actually. Um, we never get that. It's always a percentage. 90% 90, 90 of scientists agree that the world is changing, the globe is changing. I want to see the names. I want a list. I don't, I don't just want a percentage. Casey? I, I mean, I, I guarantee that you can look up any name. I would say the names that are speaking out against climate change are but the ones that are But there has to be a finite number. To have 90%, there's got to be a finite number of scientists that were asked, and well, we never the, get that. The great thing about science is that opinions don't matter. If somebody does a test, it needs to be peer-reviewed. It needs that data needs to be analyzed in a repeatable way. If you have an ex experiment <clears throat> and somebody does it in a sealed room, the person in the next room should be able to follow the same uh, set of instructions and get the same results. So Even if, I even if they're paid by a different person. Yes, if they follow the same results, then yes. But if you have two people with the same experiment and one is being is independent, you know, working for a, a, a university, while one is being funded and was specifically hired by, you know, an association or something to reach a result, 
then yes, that's when you're going to see those those skewed results. And you see that both ways. There have been no, I agree. Yeah, there's been climate change supporters that have been funded by green associations. I used to work for a steel association company, and we have funded, you know, independent. I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> independent uh, studies that we knew the results we wanted to get. And if we didn't get those results, guess what? We weren't going to publicize that study. So um, that, that's what I see. When, when somebody gives me scientific studies, if, if it's repeatable, if, if, if it's stuff like that, that's what I put value in. So, you know, specific names, they're, they're all over the place. But um, all I know, it, really, again, if we set aside the climate change, we set aside anything else, we all agree that, that oil, natural gas, coal are finite resources that while we might not have to deal with them being consumed, our kids, our kids' kids will. And that's where my mindset is, you know, in, in, the, in the future. I'm, I'm very rarely voting for my own interests. I'm voting for, you know, the disenfranchised or the next generation or my kids. You know, I would love to vote selfishly, but it feels like there's so many top level issues that I'm not able to look at conservative spending or uh, how we, you know, the, how we deal with schools and stuff like that. It's just th those types of things where I would maybe align more on the conservative side are being buried by the extremism of, of everything else. Okay. All right. Our last topic here, uh, corruption, quid pro quos, crimes and illegal activity. Okay. So you're going to get first crack at this. Sure. Um, so, we saw that Donald Trump was impeached, the third president in the United States history, for a phone call with the president of Ukraine uh, on a quote-unquote quid pro quo because Donald Trump asked him to investigate um, uh, the Bidens, Hunter, Hunter Biden. Yeah. And somehow it got you know spun that he was going to withhold aid from Ukraine. But on the other hand, we just saw Joe Biden engage in a, in a quid pro quo. And you could just, you're going to have your chance to respond. Uh, you know, talking with the Saudis, basically asking them to not cut oil production until after the midterms. And then he publicly stated that he was possibly going to withhold, you know, or maybe interfere or withhold some military uh, sales or whatever um, that we, we provide with the Saudis. Uh, Casey, which of the last two administrations was worse or are they one in the same? Well, that, that's a very different question than, than what you teed up. If Just by answering that question, I think you can look at arrest records for individuals that were associated with the former administration, indictments, things like that, legal rulings, legal cases versus this current administration. I, I think that the numbers speak for themselves. The guilty pleas speak for themselves, things like that. In terms of the quid pro quo and that incident in particular, you know, we it's it's almost like presidential tradition that that we have to beg OPEC to, you know, to adjust their uh, production. And, and it's frustrating. And, and I do want us to be energy independent. I don't want us to have to rely on, you know, the Middle East for for that type of stuff um, in terms of him withholding any type of congressional approved funds absolutely should not be allowed. It's completely out of base, I think. Uh, and I saw the, the comments that he made. I think that they were more political than actual policy threats. I think that he's also said some other things about pushing back against Saudi Arabia and their, you know, their human rights issues and things like that. Again, it's all just noise. You know, that's been true for 
the last several administrations and nothing's been done that, you know, every administration, every administration talks tough, but then they all have the picture of them bowing to the Saudi prince or or whatever, <laughs> you know, we're, we're clearly beholden to them. Um, so yeah, so in, in terms of just comparing the last two administrations, I, I mean, there are still several active lawsuits against the former president and, and people in his circle. Um, I'm unaware of any current, you know, actual legal uh, pending things against Biden or any of his administration. In terms of the Hunter Biden stuff, I've always said transparency, do the full investigation. And it goes back to what I said before. If Republicans had a smoking gun in this, the Hunter Biden thing, you know, it would be it would be everywhere. You know, this this is what they would want. This is what they would tell tell everybody. Um, I would I, I'm not excusing Hunter Biden at all, and I hate whataboutism, but I would also point to the enrichment of the former administration's children, Jared Kushner, Ivanka, and how they increased their profits during their roles with the administration. Um, I feel uncomfortable with that as well. Um, so it feels a bit that we need to move away from the nepotism in terms of our government um, and in terms of those roles. Um, and again, uh, I'm always about transparency. I feel like we should have a, you know, a special investigative unit similar to the special prosecutors we've seen in the past, like the, the Ken Starr, the, the Mueller, that is just constantly seeking out corruption, constantly seeking out, you know, improper ethical behavior against all of our elected officials, you know, working on behalf of us, the American people, because if people are abusing their power, then they're not working for us, which is what they should do. All right, Joe, uh, we're going to wrap up after this. Go ahead. Um, so Casey made some really good points about arrests and stuff, and he is correct in that. But um, he said he did not know of any. I think you might have said that. I'm not sure. But I will. Kevin Kleinsmith um, did plead guilty to altering an email used to seek surveillance warrants against um, Carter Page, who was a former Trump advisor, I believe. Um, and he got a slap on the wrist. But um, look. Trump ended up with the, going back to the beginning on the quid pro quo. Trump ended up being right. Hunter was doing dirty things in Ukraine. It's on the laptop. And then months later, in October of 2020, right before the election, CIA intel officers covered for Hunter Biden and said his laptop was Russian disinfo. And then you find out that hey, the New York Times for posting this was deplatformed by social media. Now, I. For me to sit here and say I don't think there's corruption on, on the Republican side would be foolish. There's definitely corruption on the Republican side and the Democrat side, left and right. I just don't think Trump is this big, bad monster that's done all these crimes that people make him out to be. I'm sorry. I, I, um, I, would, I would agree with that. I would agree with that statement in, in a vacuum. I would say that, that Trump himself isn't a big bad, a big, bad monster, but I believe that his personality, his his narcissism, his, his the the way he positions himself, set him up in a way to be taken advantage of by malicious people who were within his circle, people like Steve Bannon, um, people you know other people in in that type of um, whose names are escaping me now, just people who had their own agendas and could latch on to the Trump you know charisma and and, and his followers. And, and really kind of manipulate that situation. You, you've seen time and time again that when somebody compliments Trump or likes Trump, he's all for them. You know, he hires the best people, but somehow whenever those people leave the administration, they were never Trumpers. They were, you know, they were rhinos. They were never the best people. 
So I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, why that is, why they're the best people coming in. But once they start working with Trump, now they're no longer the best people. So that, you, you know, I, I think uh, as I am on Twitter, you know, Hamlin's razor never attribute to malice what can be easily attributed to stupidity. <laughs> and I think that with all due respect to the former president, I think that he was more of a lackey than an active push for a lot of these unethical activities. And in my opinion, and this is where we can close, I, I think that Trump is, honestly, he went up against a lot. He had to go up against big tech. He had to go against our own Intel officials and terrible people in our government on both the left and the right um, that did not have America's America first um, as their main. I, sure. But I, I would say I agree. I also don't think that Trump had America first. I think Trump had his vision of America first, and he supported those who also supported that vision. But if you want to look at a vision for America, you have to acknowledge that there's going to be dissent, that there's going to be difference of opinion, and that you have to welcome that difference of opinion, because being American is fundamentally about freedom of speech, about being able to uh, present <clears throat> your disagreement, especially with government officials and, and leadership. You know, like how awful would it be if we had a rule like the Queen, where once somebody was elected, we could never speak bad about them, we could never criticize them. That that seems like a you know like a totalitarian you know like a dictatorship, an authoritative dictatorship. Um, so I so I agree with you there. All right, Casey, we thank you very much for coming on. You are a pleasure. Do you want to? Um, we'll give you the final word. Do you want to make any crazy predictions before midterms about anything at all? <laughs> we'll give you the floor. Um, I don't know how crazy it's going to be. I think it seems pretty clear that uh, the Republicans are going to hold, uh, take back the House. Um, and I think that really comes from how they do so well in local elections that get down to local issues while the Democrats are a much broader national type uh, brand, which hurts them in those local elections. I think the Democrats will hold the Senate. I think they're, that the reason they're going to hold is because the Republicans have put up you know, unfortunately, awful candidates in Pennsylvania and Georgia and Arizona. Um, and that's going to cost them if they had put up, you know, relatively reasonable, moderate conservatives, they probably would have had one of the biggest red waves in history. Um, but they can't escape this MAGA extremism. And they keep pushing moderates out of their party, even if they agree with them 90%, you know, so, so if you can't disagree at all, then I'm worried about the future of the Republican Party. But I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes. I, 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 I have no idea what, what Biden's goals are for the second administration, but let me just say right here, if he does run for re-election, I would not support him. Interesting. Okay. Interesting final take. All right, Casey, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having yeah, you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, please invite me back anytime. We could, do a, we could do a post-talk or let's just talk about the bills when they win the Super Bowl. We could okay. do that. And, uh, <laughs> we'll have you on after the election. We'll, we'll, we'll do a, uh, a recap and see where things are headed. Awesome. Keep keep doing the great work. Appreciate right, you guys. Casey. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. See you guys. See you guys. Bye.